Hello, welcome to the Red and Blue podcast. I'm your host, Aaron, and I'm a member of the UK Conservative Party. Joining me is my friend and co-host from the other side of the political aisle, Josh, who is a member of the UK Labour Party. Political civility is our mission and our cause, and we aim to discuss the week's news with all of that in mind. Now, on with the show. We've had further updates regarding the COVID-19 pandemic, including hitting the death toll of over 1,000 deaths, a tragic figure and the highest in Europe. On the positive side, contrary to that, the vaccination rollout is still going strong, with estimates claiming that over 80% of over 80s have received the vaccine. Boris Johnson has said that the schools will reopen as soon as possible, with a provisional date of the 8th of March. So, Josh, overall, a little bit of a quieter week this week than last week, other than, of course, the, the, the tragic milestone that was reached of 1,000 deaths. Uh, what has been going on with the Labour Party this week? Yeah, so obviously 100,000 deaths is a um, huge, huge tragic number. Um, and I'll touch on that in a bit later when I get into some of my personal uh, kind of beliefs. Um but on this front, I think you're right, it's kind of been uh, a tad quieter. Um, Keir Starmer essentially has called for children to go back to school as quick as possible because, of course, they're missing out on um, education and everything else that you get from going to school. It's not just um, it's not just education, obviously. We've got interaction is um, incredibly valuable. You've got child, child's mental health uh, to worry about as well. Um, but the main kind of point on this from Keir this week was called for the government to use half term to vaccinate teachers in preparation for going back to school. Yes. Um, accused of trying to get teachers to jump a queue. I'm not really sure that is particularly fair. Um, however, I can see some of the downsides to it as well. But it just, just goes against, I mean, everything kind of goes against some of the belief um, that schools are either they are safe and that quite frankly they're not which is why I guess why they're um, being closed so I do see the logic of trying to um, super super speed up teachers and key support workers getting vaccination um, I just don't think it's going to happen I think logistically it probably just seems a bit too difficult um, is it something that could have been suggested a bit of a while ago quite possibly but I suppose we weren't anticipating schools to be closed it's really calling on the government have it's kind of been their catchphrase for 10 months, really. Um, what, get so Brexit what, done? <laughs> yeah, well, Labour's catchphrase already is kind of, uh, what's the plan? What's, um, yeah. what is the Tory party's, the government's plan, sorry. Um, not as catchy, that one, but yeah, I see what not you're as saying. Ca- not as, <laughs> no, not as catchy. Uh, and that's part of the problem, I think, with some of the cut through. Um, well, I tell you what, I'm going to throw a bit of a curveball in here, actually. I think, overall, I'm slightly more with Keir Starmer, actually, on this one. Uh, dun dun dun. Yeah. <laughs> but um, uh, I think that I've got a, a slightly more. I mean, I know that we have you know slight disagreements on on the COVID pandemic and how it's best to be dealt with. Anyway, I, I sort of lean slightly more to the kind of sort of libertarian and sort of a little bit skeptical about lockdown. Anyway, but I think especially when it comes to education, I think you hit the nail on the head there. Actually, about about what is really best for the ch- for the children, and I I have really grave concerns here about what it is going to be doing to children and I was discussing this recently about what would sort of be the best age to be at this time 
during the lockdown and actually I couldn't figure it out like it would be really bad if you were sort of in year 10 year 11 and you were missing those really crucial end moments of uh, of school there to go into into college or higher education or whatever but it would also be really bad when you're very small then you're learning so much about human interaction and and to therefore be sort of confined to the home and so there's there's so many things to consider here and again it's not like just allowing kids straight back into the schools all the problems would go away because of course they wouldn't but i, I share those concerns yeah absolutely um it's really tricky isn't it i think it's probably uh year nine if you could pick any year because everyone seems to uh no one seems to care about year nine when you're in year nine anyway. But that's weird. Right, well, yeah. I feel like at school no one cared about year nine either. I, yeah. <laughs> maybe it's just one of those weird is... things across the country. But yeah, I, I sort of yeah. felt like that as well. It's like everyone cares about year 10 and year 11 because they're doing GCSEs. And everyone cares yeah. about year seven and year eight because they've just started secondary. It's like, what's, uh, yeah, anyway, but, besides the point yeah. that you were saying. No, you're right. But no, it's fun. Like, I really worry that um, little ones uh, that miss out on some of this uh, interaction, um, that we might have a generation of... Uh, socially more awkward children mm. but it, no that is a, is a worry but more than they are already in some degree i mean with the with the issues surrounding social media and and, yeah, and, and, like, and, all, and all that stuff it's just a, it's just an additional you know spanner in the works isn't it yes yeah, so just to touch on some of the stuff gavin williamson um has done or not done uh, last week there was a big call for um williamson to resign um which i don't think will be seen to um i don't think there's anyone in the government that will actually resign on doing a bad job i think we're kind of post that really we're post resignation for ministers um and i don't think that boris johnson will sack it up until recently there was still about a million children without some kind of uh, access to a screen for internet um lessons um and then there was another i can't remember the exact numbers but um Seventy or thousand of those that did have screens didn't have um, access to Wi-Fi, so there were still dongles kind of missing. So if you kind of look at the Department of Education's um, reason for being, I suppose, is to provide education for children. Ten months into a pandemic, I personally feel that not having uh, access through a screen, through lessons, is a is a real big failure. Um, I know that it's difficult, uh, and ordering stuff on that. Um, scale proves to be really difficult especially when we've made supply chains harder um however it just feels like that probably should have been one of their number one objectives and i feel if we were grading them i think they kind of kind of failed yeah well i guess it's that thing of if you're going to do it do it right sort of thing so it's it's you know if you if you're going to lock down the country then uh, you know, and and send kids back home. Then it it it's sort of that thing of you, you should do it right. And you know, unfortunately, not everyone can afford to have a device that connects to the internet. I know that that that's a minority, and most of the people, most people in this country do. But obviously, that can't be said for everyone. No, and I think I'm not I'm not sure if that is uh, the majority really, because if you think, say, you've got three kids, that becomes hard. You've got to then try and work around a timetable. And then obviously it's just an impact because um, they're not getting the same education as uh, as others in the class or actually maybe sometimes others in the house. So that, yeah, that is really tricky. And I think you probably summed it up well. If you're going to do it, do it right. Yes. Yeah, I, I think that's right. Uh, when it comes to resignations, because, yes, uh, Gavin Williamson's resignation or calling for him to resign, I should say, has been sort of all over Twitter this week, as has even Boris Johnson's. 
I don't support the resignation of Boris Johnson. I don't know if I support the resignation of Gavin Williamson. But just in that ball game, when it comes to calling for someone's resignation, is it being done from a good place of we want someone better to step in? Or is it done from a place of pride where they're actually it makes us feel good to see someone that we don't like to resign? Do, do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, I get what you're saying. Um, I've, so if I could sum up the argument real quickly for why I think Labour and myself would want Gallic... Uh, Gavin Williamson to resign. We've got the debacle of the free school meals, um, meals inverted commas, because obviously everyone saw those hampers. Um, and I think the big problem with that is pick a strategy and deliver it. And Gavin Williamson has gone, we won't be given free school meals. We will be given free school meals, but actually joke, they're really rubbish um, because we've outsourced them to a third party. And for 30 quid, you only get a banana and half a pack of pasta. Um, and then to being forced into a U-turn after U-turn um, in normal times would be a, a resignation out of pride in itself, I think. And then the third one, um, threatening councils to uh, that were locking down schools, closing schools, just before you then forced everybody to go back to school for a day before then actually saying, no, schools are closed. And then do you remember there was uh, some time for him to be called for resign uh, last year and he released a photo of him at his desk and he had that whip on his desk uh, not so casually reminding everyone that he was chief whip and that he uh, has a load of dirt on people um, so if, I mean that in itself is so cringy you should probably resign but he clearly doesn't have any set or doesn't have much self-awareness what I'm trying to figure out is how much of it is good intention he should resign and, and whether it's just virtue signalling, this is what my side is saying, and so therefore I'm going to support it. And even even just now, there are Republicans in the United States calling to impeach Biden. Impeach him? <laughs> impeach him for what? And and so and so I, I feel like there's a growing number of people on on sides who just want other people to resign. And I don't I don't think that the intention is good and i don't think it's yeah. it's it's well thought through and I, and what i'm saying is that i want there to be some kind of integrity in the process of calling ministers and leaders to resign rather than just saying this is what everyone else is saying and i'm just going to go along with it because i'm virtue signaling that's what i'm trying to sort of filter out here if we can just touch briefly on the 100,000 milestone that was reached and just about oh, we did touch a bit on it last week but about the reason why that's been reached, why it's the highest in Europe. I was reading an article on the BBC about why that's the case, and you know, some, I think a lot, blame the government. Others um, have other reasons for it. Um, can you just touch on that ever so slightly? Yeah. Now, obviously, you, you being slightly more on the libertarian side, I totally understand that people should have responsibility for themselves, um, and I think there's an element of that, that there are very few people that um, have breached rules or done things that you know are outside the guidance that have had a detriment for sure um, there was only the other day there was a bloody wedding that someone was having 150 odd guests were there so that is obviously uh, that is obviously stupid um, because it's not only against the guidance but actually from a, a moral point of view and taking stuff into your own hands uh, it's dangerous hotbed of mixing COVID around really but um, obviously I th really feel that the government have to take some responsibility uh, as well for stuff that we kind of touched on um, and I think the biggest sorry, failure the biggest failure I think with the government has been messaging 
um, because it's been mixed at times, uh, contradictory at times, sometimes too late, sometimes too high level, and then sometimes too much in the inertia and too much detail that people actually go, what the hell are you trying to do with me? Um, and that probably does lead back to some of the strategy. I don't think their strategy has been great, but I think the messaging has been really poor. Um, and I mean, on messaging, I don't think the certain elements of the press haven't helped, but you know, when Johnson came out the other day and said he was sorry and took responsibility, you know, does he feel some element of guilt? Possibly. Is he truly sorry? I don't, we probably will never know, but there are big chunks of the paper of the, uh, especially the printed press, sorry, that kind of facilitated some of this uh, disaster. Whether you like Boris Johnson or not, I, I felt sort of rather humbled by his approach, and I, I, I find that when when people would compare Boris to Trump, I would never like that comparison, and I don't even pretend for a second that Boris is a perfect person, or you know he doesn't, he's not, you know, wildly flawed in in some aspects. But I, I did like the fact that he did apologise and says that he takes responsibility and he is is not admitting in in the slightest that the government has got every, everything right, and so. I, I like I like that humble aspect. You know, party politics aside, I just like that that politicians can apologise and say that we got it wrong. I do, I do, but I think he'd be hard pressed to give a real answer if you asked him where he got it wrong. Um, yes, that's so, true. Yeah, so that's I'm, true. I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm not sure I buy the full contrition. If I kind of feel if there was some certain other MPs or were in the hot seat and showing some contrition. Um, I'd probably believe it a lot more. And I know it's not nice to be that kind of cynical about it, but you kind of knowing Boris Johnson as Boris Johnson, I don't believe that it doesn't stem from some some truth, um, but I don't fully buy it. I felt to me when, when I watched it that it was pretty sincere. And I, I feel like throughout the time that he's been doing the press conferences about COVID and you can see you can see it in his eyes that he's fighting his internal libertarian leanings really when it comes to lockdown and so at least he's he's willing to do something for the better of the country that he doesn't personally agree with and it does take it does take some integrity to do that do you like political civility it's something that's been on my mind for years seeing america at breaking point with donald trump as president the Brexit debate which divided the UK for many years and in some ways still going on now. It seems like there is so much noise out there and we can be under the illusion that the nastiness spouted by others on Twitter has to be the norm in political discourse. One of the ways you can really help Josh and myself out is to subscribe to our podcast and leave a rating and review wherever you choose to listen. This will really help more people discover the show. We aim, as you know, to bring political civility back to people who want to discuss even the most contentious issues without forgetting about the humanity in the people that they speak to. Thanks for your support. And now, back to the show. Piers Morgan has been trending on Twitter this week with the hashtag PM4PM. We thought we'd discuss this trend, but also what makes a good Prime Minister. I did have to laugh uh, when I saw it in there. Um, I did see that it was trending. I can't say that I read his manifesto, so I'll be interested for you to lighten me on some points in there. But um, just on Piers himself, he's good at what he does. Um, I can't 
kind of think he's a bit of a living incarnation of clickbait really um you know i i can't confess to watching him too much although i see some of his viral clips um there was a time and i think he's done some really reprehensible stuff when he was uh editor of, uh, daily, of the daily mirror yeah yeah some so stuff that you know i know he's showing some contrition about but again i'm not sure how much i buy it um and the, you know I used to find him utterly repulsive and now I find him fractionally less so, I suppose. Uh, but when he's not doing his job, uh, he's actually, he's not too bad. Um, so Piers Morgan's life stories are quite all right. He does a few decent documentaries. And his documentaries you know, on um, on killers are, are often very good as well. Yeah. He's, yeah, yeah. I just find that Piers Morgan, the character, inverted commas, which I think he's probably plays a lot, uh, is not for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, is is appealing to sort of the the lowest moral denominator. I, I find actually. I was going to say we all kind of enjoy it a little bit, you know, like when Matt Hancock went on there the other day and he's smirking and Piers Morgan's eviscerating him. I kind of fine with that because why go on to a show and not know your brief? But actually, sometimes, like you're right, he just lives for the gotcha, and it's uh, kind of a bit of low low brown. Yes, I, I think the thing with Piers is that because I have a mix mixed feelings about him, and I feel like that sort of changes from day to day. But I think that. What I've what I've tried to do with Piers is that I don't because because from my point of view I would say I don't I feel like he's kind of lost it on COVID and he's quite good with a lot of the woke stuff that is my personal view on on his opinions but I feel like that doesn't really go deep enough because I don't well I mean exactly what we're trying to do with this podcast is not judge people based on their opinions and so I think it's rather hypocritical for me to do that to others so yeah, sure. I I'm 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 trying to not judge him so much on his opinions but rather his his persona and his interview style and I find his interview style not always but a lot of the time rather obnoxious and it's it's again what we were just talking about appealing to the lowest um, moral denominator and uh, it, it's not the fact that he's in in some way provocative in his um in the way that he asks questions, because I think that, that that's good. And I like the fact that he's to the point and he asks the hard questions. And I really like that. I think that's a really good trait. But there's a really, there's a there's a factor in the way that he interviews where he almost kind of enjoys the sort of the demeaning aspect of, of speaking to people. And, I, yeah. and if I can just remind, I don't know if you saw the interview, but there's, uh, an interview that he did with Ash Sarkar. There was a time where he just kept on berating her about the number of migrants that Barack Obama deported, and um, she clearly said multiple times in that interview that she didn't like Obama or his um, his home policies. But he kept on going back to her, um, you know, loving him, and you know, and she just hated Trump and stuff. And it's just this again. Yeah. I, I just I don't. I feel like I don't like it. I, I even if I agree with some of the points that he makes, I feel like I sort of come away feeling a bit dirty actually after. <laughs> I'm totally with you. Yeah, I think like yeah, you need a shower after watching Piers Morgan. I feel yeah, which uh, is not right. a compliment to him. It's not, <laughs> no, it's not. But you take someone like. Like Paxman, for example, who was a heavyweight at his job for a number of years, decades, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Uh, he versed that versus Piers Morgan. Um, Paxman would grill. Hmm. Um, and okay, he probably got off a, on times of ministers not knowing their brief. But most of the time, the ministers were pretty heavyweight and could give it back. Um, I feel Piers Morgan sometimes finds some easy targets. And sometimes I feel also that he knows the answer. 
or they really wants the answer to be um, your point on uh, Ash there, that he uh, then tries to frame the whole interview around that as opposed to getting something of value from it. But it all makes great clickbait. Um, what was in his manifesto, do you know? I do, yeah. So it's very funny. I mean, uh, just for example, he says, manifesto number one. He says, day one, I'd fire two-thirds of the current abysmal cabinet so fast that they wouldn't even have time to leak to Robert Pester they'd resigned. <laughs> I would agree with him on that. That's then, a very, to be fair, I would take that one. Yeah, then I'd get in replacements that I could trust to do the basics, like run a bath. <laughs> Again, I could see that, yeah. I think... He might not be warranted to be person of the year, I think, given uh, the amount of wonderful work a lot of people have done. Um, would I vote for him if he was going to be prime minister? He wouldn't win my vote if he was on an opposition uh, party. Uh, and I would probably struggle to back him vo- so vocally if he was leader of the Labour Party. Um, no, I wouldn't yeah. vote. I wouldn't. I wouldn't vote for him at all. I. I, I, I no. I. I there, there's no way. I, I can just about stomach him for about five minutes um, doing an interview. But being the prime minister, uh, no, not not in the right. slightest. Not in the slightest. No, you're, you're right. You've convinced me. I'm out. He says. So this is manifesto number four. I would regulate Twitter to make UK users put their real name, real photo, and real place of work in their profile. That would instantly stop 99% of the vile, anonymous trolling that increasingly pollutes the platform. All users would be required to follow 10 accounts of people who they share their complete opposite political opinions <laughs> in a policy yeah. in a policy named, get this, Operation Destroy the Echo Chamber. <laughs> now, it, it comes from not a bad place, I suppose. Yes. We, yeah. we would encourage people to follow people from the, the other side of the divide, wouldn't we? Oh, absolutely. Um, oh, my gosh. Yeah, that would change everything, I think. Just on Piers Morgan, though, and the woke side, I find it hilarious, but in also so irritating that someone that claims to um, hate woke culture, even though I feel that he has uh, done a lot more of stoking fake woke culture to become a thing um is so offended by everything this is the man that went spare because greg's brought out a vegan sausage roll equivalent yes um, yeah well this is the thing there, there's a degree of hypocrisy is in it as well he also went mental when gillette released that uh, advert about men being better um and I can say from the record, I, I am not a fan of woke stuff, pretty much all of it. But I actually didn't have that much of a problem with um, with the Gillette stuff. It just, in my mind, was actually encouraging men to just not um, fashion themselves to traditional masculine stereotypes. And I, I actually don't have a problem with that. But it's but the thing with Piers Morgan is, and I've, and I've heard him say this before, he says that he he kind of wakes up every morning ready to feel enraged about something and he he wants to have very strong opinions about things so he can really fight it's like he's it's like he's waking up every morning in a boxing ring and he's ready to sort of get in there and just throw the punches and so you know he can even change his mind on things now and again and he'll fight just as hard from the other way so it's like he it's like he can't not fight for things yeah if that makes sense and that in itself is the biggest turn-off, isn't it? Well, it is, yes. I, I completely agree. Yeah. So what makes a good Prime Minister to you? My gut feeling is you do need charisma. You need lead, You need that kind of... You do need a bit of an X-factor of leadership because you need to be able to lead and captivate a room, I think. But actually, a strategic mind. You need to think in the strategy. Then you need to trust people 
in your cabinet and employ the right people to be able to deliver on that strategy, but also enable them to deliver tactically because you can't be in the noise on the detail day to day. You need to get the best people you need them to work for you. One thing that I would add to that, I feel like a good prime minister would live up to the manifesto that he or she ran on. And I, and to, to me, that that's really important. And so I, mm. uh, the, the idea of, of making all of these promises and then completely doing a different thing, I, I think is a, is a real big problem. And in some way, it's probably the only kudos that I would actually give before he went um, mental after the election to actually President Trump. Uh, is that um, at least he did things that he said he was going to do for the for the most part, and I think that there's a fair amount of okay. Well, at least you know he's not just doing a completely different thing to what he said he was going to do. Whether you agree with those things is a completely separate issue, and I completely respect yeah, loads um, of people whose opinions who who wouldn't. But uh, but yeah, that's that's about the only positive I can give to Margaret Thatcher as well. Um, is that she listed out that she was going to do these things. And she delivered against what she said she was going to, especially for the first couple of terms. Um, So, yeah, having a plan and a strategy and following through with it and kind of sticking to what you've said. Um, Yeah, I'm with you on that. does civility mean? The dictionary definition says formal politeness and courtesy in behaviour and speech. What I've realised about political anger is that it's actually a temptation. Sometimes we have to thumb past tweets that we want to respond to, but realise that if we did we'd only add fuel to the fire. And what about our friends, families? We all know someone who's got opposing views to us. The question is how do you treat them? Make the world a better place by talking about politics in a manner that is civil, kind, and brings out the best in others. If you have any stories, drop us a tweet at the Red Blue Pod. Now, back to the show. President Joe Biden's first week has been washed with executive orders and dark responses for times ahead in relation to COVID-19. He's had an incredibly busy first week. Um, in fact, I was reading a newspaper piece yesterday that said the 100 things that Joe Biden's done uh, within seven days. Uh, but by Joe Biden, of course, we mean the team. And actually, uh, going on what makes a good leader, I think that's part of it. Very early, I'm not judging Joe Biden, but... Um, Having a great team that can deliver and execute is exactly what you need. Um, Yes, there has been a lot of uh, executive orders, um, but I think he's kind of come into unprecedented, well, yeah, it is unprecedented times. Um, He's been dealt a pretty poor hand, uh, high death rates, a um, struggling economy, and a country that's kind of retreated globally. And he's had to reverse some of that as quick as uh, as quick as possible, really. So if you look at you know some of the executive orders, such as um, rejoining WHO, 
and uh, the Paris Act. Um, the Paris Climate Agreement. Paris Climate Agreement, yeah, sorry. That kind of, I think the vast majority of people, um, to get credibility back on the international stage, kind of had to be done. Um, and to be fair to him, to go back to, you said, on his manifesto, he said he was going to do that, and they kind of boshed him out in the first couple of days. Um, and then you got stuff like the travel ban um, from the countries that Trump imposed. Um, Obama highlighted them, Trump um, imposed them. Yeah, um, but, you know, from the largely Muslim countries, um, which, you know, there's arguments that why I didn't think they're particularly effective if you look at some of the countries that you kind of missed out if that's what you're going for or you know whether it's down for stoking division um which is kind of feel like it was i get that why you again why you'd reverse that uh, and then the ban on european travel uh, i think that's you know it's in cooperation and reciprocal with what countries are doing around the world so you know whilst i'm not going to go through all 20 executive orders and there is a debate about to be had uh, sorry a debate to be had about whether they should but they seem very rooted in American uh, democracy. Um, he's had to act quick, and there are some that just seem like open goals that he needs to uh, tick and get done out of the way in early doors. I think that a lot of Republicans will be concerned about about those number of executive orders. I, I know that Republicans overall tend to have quite a mistrust of federal power in the US, and so I think that they will be... Because he's he signed... I think he's about 25. And just to just to highlight that towards other presidents, Obama only signed five, Trump signed one, and W. Bush didn't sign any. Yeah, I think it's unprecedented within the first week. But I mean, if you look over the lifetime of a president, I think um, Trump was around 200-odd in the end. I think he actually only had 79 fewer than Obama, who obviously served four years more than him. So it'll be interesting to see if this is how Biden governs for his whole term uh i'm not sure i have no idea beats me um but yeah it is unprecedented the amount but it's also incredibly unprecedented times i guess my concern with this is is how much the democrats are wanting to to just overturn the last four years and it's not like i don't understand why they're wanting to do that because of of how president trump was Uh, but the thing is is that i don't know how unifying that is that is going to be and what i mean by that is that politics is politics is so polarized in the united states that you don't even have republican congressmen or women going on cnn or msnbc they only go on fox which is a right-wing network you have people that are in they're in such extreme echo chambers and it's and a lot of it is so authoritarian and there are similar aspects to how it is over here that you could never agree with what the other side says i i just i feel like there there is a danger of saying everything that happened in the last four years is absolutely awful and we need, need to overturn everything and I, I again i kind of come back to whether whether a lot of people are actually really thinking for themselves and i and i, I think that a lot of them probably are but i'm wondering if they're maybe too afraid to actually just come out and say, well, we disagree with Trump on a lot of things, but actually before COVID, the economy was actually going pretty well. And so actually we're going to implement one of his ideas here. But I you're not going to see them do that because it's so tribal. I, I do agree with some of the tribal... Well, no, I definitely agree with the tribal nature. Um, I suppose it's different 
economy that Joe Biden's inherited than Trump inherited off Obama. Hmm. Um, so the same answers might not give you, or the same solution might not give you the same answers because it might be a slightly different question. Um, I don't know. I, I think the economy would be a really interesting one um, because, yeah, it was picking up and it was, well, it was doing well for those kind of middle years of Trump's uh, administration. However, there, a lot of it was kind of propped up by um, Wall Street doing really well. Um, some of that, there's some Obama legacy there, which again, I don't think you'll find Republicans will probably admit. Um, but then the last 10 months has been a car crash. So it's uh, almost a blank, it's never a blank page, but it's almost a blank one that says, well, actually, Biden, what is your, what are your economic policies and what are you going to do? Are you borrowing from Trump? Are you borrowing from Obama or whoever? Maybe even FDR would be quite good. Um, it remains to be seen, though, I suppose. I, th- I think it's it's going above party politics and above, you know, um, in quotes, loyalty to party. And I don't still to this day don't know what people really mean by that when people say that. And I feel like a lot of people say that as a way of saying, actually, don't think for yourself, you join us. And I mean, just to even give you an example, um, Mitt Romney, who's a Republican, he ran in 2012 against Obama, he voted for the Trump impeachment. And so he went against party politics there. And so um, Tulsi Gabbard, who I like actually very, very much, she's a Democrat uh, from Congresswoman from Hawaii, and she ran uh, in the 2020 presidential election and unfortunately didn't get very far. She was uh, talking on the Joe Rogan podcast very recently about potential conspiracy theories about uh, um, Democratic governors locking down districts, even if they didn't agree with it, just so that they can appeal to their base and stuff. And I just, I, I feel like, it's so much there's so much politics in politics if you know what i mean yeah, by that absolutely and that, that's the worst that's the worst thing about politics is the politics isn't it but I it's think, meant to yeah. it's meant to be about the people and whether we're serving the people and sometimes if you have have a backbone and i know it must be so hard but you've just got to say i'm sorry i don't agree with that i don't agree with my party on this and, and you see it now and again now and again you do see it and it's so refreshing when you see it but because politics has become so so tribal a lot of people you know are, are smart enough to see through it let's bring up let's bring that back to the uk though quickly if i can you had um a number of politicians um a few from labor and a number from the tory party last year who uh actively spoke out against the party um whips were removed and they kicked out especially on the Tory party, some grandees from the uh, party um, and some real heavy thinkers. Um, former Attorney General Dominic Grieve was kicked out of the party for having a different, a dissenting voice on the leadership, um, which does not help, obviously, the factions that you kind of talk about, uh, rightly, that you talk about, um, just ingrains them further. And it means you lose some real intellectual heavyweights from the government. I have no... Problem. I mean, look at some of the problems that are kind of happening with Brexit at the moment. I have no uh, second thoughts. If you had Dominic Grieve in government at the moment, someone that can review legislation incredibly quickly, one of the sharpest minds government's had for a long time, that we'd be in a better place with it. But he's booted out the party because he disagreed with the, the overall leadership. I, I want there to be some degree of, of coming together and you and when it comes to the last four years with Trump, it's I know it's very hard, but they have to just acknowledge that he was the president 
and he's nowhere near a perfect man but actually you know well, the stuff with North Korea was pretty good he did stand up to China the economy was doing well like, you, you know what I mean there, there are it's it, it's it but it's not that it's everything about this man is despicable and I, I have a problem with that I have a problem with that concept and that's not because it's Trump it's it's because of exactly what I'm talking about about loyalty yeah. to party politics to a crazy extreme and and I think America would do well by going beyond that Bring political civility back by joining us every Friday on the Red and Blue podcast. You can also find us on Twitter at the Red Blue Pod, where both Josh and I, Aaron, will be tweeting our thoughts throughout the week.